grab your Bibles, please, and open up to the book of 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter number 28. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 28. We'll read a few verses, and then we'll flip to another passage and read some more. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 28. We'll begin reading in verse number 21. 2 Chronicles chapter number 28, and we'll begin reading in verse number 21. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord, and out of the house of the king, and of the princes, and gave unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord, that this is that king Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria help me, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Let's flip over to chapter number 31, 2 Chronicles chapter number 31. Second Chronicles chapter number 31, we'll begin reading in verse number 20. Second Chronicles chapter number 31, we read in verse number 20. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. Let's pray. Dear Father, I, I beg your help this evening, Father. I, I don't want to just fill a time slot, Lord. I want to be used of you. I want to help. I want to be an answer to someone's issue or someone's problem. Lord, I pray that you use me at this time, Father. I pray that you use your word, speak through me, empty me of self. In Jesus' name, amen. start off with a really riveting subject, it's going to lose a lot of your attention, but then hopefully we'll bring it back right at the end, and then we'll jump into the message. I'll lose many of you with one word, math, <laughs> mathematics has been in development obviously since, you know, creation, the dawn of man, for, for thousands of years, for millenniums, after creation and the fall of man, it talks about how uh, a single man built a city. Well, you have to have a knowledge of mathematics to build a city. Otherwise, your city probably won't stay up for very long. Mathematics, very important. All the way back from creation to today, math has been a part of everything. We look at the Ark, the Tower of Babel. These are all feats that are only possible if you have at least somewhat of an understanding of mathematics. So it's nothing new. 
the civilization of Sumer, where uh, uh, where Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. They have uh, uh, historical uh, fragments that are still left that show some of their mathematical uh, workings and things like that. It's been a part of mankind's history since God created heaven and earth and created man. Uh, obviously, the civilizations of the Arabian countries, they're the ones that are uh, well known for uh, really working about in the area of algebra. So if you uh, love algebra, then you can thank them. If you don't, you can thank them as well. You miss algebra. But a civilization well known for their contributions to the field of mathematics uh, would be the Greeks. The Greeks are well known, and, and many of the ones that we use today and many of the ones that laid foundations for what we use today are, are called formulas. See, up to this time, there have been some, but the Greeks were the, really the first ones to really start writing down specific formulas and mathematical uh, 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 equations to really set down and set a foundation of, okay, this is this, this is this, this is this. If I do this, I will always get this, laying down those principles. That's what a formula is for, and that's what they were doing. Uh, Archimedes, he, he's a Greek mathematician. He was known as uh, by many as the father of math. That's who he was. Uh, so we see that, or you could also say something like this. Hey, you know, this is where I'll bring you back in. Recipes for food, okay? Same thing. You want to get the same answer to a problem, you need to apply the formula so you can always get the same answer. You want to get the same dish of food every single time, you need to apply a recipe. Not saying that you can't do it without the formula, not saying you can't do it without the recipe, but if you want it to be the exact same and you want it to be very easy to repeat and very easy to do again, you need a formula or a recipe. If you do not, It'll be different every time. It won't necessarily be the same. And you may never actually get back to that same thing that you were at before that you're trying to get back to. These are very important things. These are uh, foundations that is need. So my question to you is, what is the formula or the recipe that we can see here in the Bible from Second Chronicles chapter 28 with King Ahaz? Verses 21 to 25, we see it ends, verse number 25, uh, ends with, and in, in several cities, uh, in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. And then we jump ahead just a few chapters to chapter number 31, and we read about Hezekiah, and he did good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And he sought to please the Lord in everything that he was doing, in everything that he went. We see two opposite ends of the spectrum in just one generation. Ahaz is Hezekiah's father. So what is the formula to bring about such a radical change in such a short period of time? Once again, you want to have that same repeatable instance. There, there's a formula. There's a recipe so you can get the same Every time, it's repeatable. So I want to show us the formula that Hezekiah used to bring about revival in Israel. Israel was not in a good way. Israel was in the worst way possible. Ahaz was a wicked man, and for his entire reign, he led Israel as far away, the people of God as far away as he could. He was a wicked man. 
He caused his own country to lose in battle after battle, to get beat by the enemies of God because he just would not do what was right. He was stiff-necked. He turned a hard heart away from God. He was determined not to follow what God wanted him to follow. So I want us to look at Hezekiah's life and to see what is the formula that he used that we can use time and time again to bring our hearts back to God so we can revive us again. Once again, to be revived doesn't mean, you know, you've become a super Christian. If someone's passed out and you splash some water on them to revive them, they haven't become Superman all of a sudden because they've been revived. They've been brought back to normal. So that's what a, Christ, a revived Christian should be a normal Christian. It should be a Christian operating as the way God expects them to operate on the normal level. We, we sometimes think of revival as this some super level Christianity. God says, no, that's the normal level. You've just gotten to where you're operating at a normal level. So let's see how Hezekiah was able to take the country of Israel that his father had that his father had ruined, his father had taken away, his father had caused God's anger to fall down upon them, to switch in such a seemingly short time. Second Chronicles chapter number twenty nine and verse number one. Second Chronicles chapter twenty nine and verse one. Hezekiah, and this is the verse where it's introducing Hezekiah to be king. In Jerusalem, king of Judah, so the southern kingdom. Hezekiah, Second uh, Chronicles chapter number twenty, verse number one. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. So he's twenty-five, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. The first step and bringing about revival, and bringing about God's blessings in your life, in your family, in your church, in your nation, whatever it may be, the first step is always going to be training the children in God's way. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Parents have a very grave and serious responsibility to train those that have been entrusted to them by God. The Bible says that children are the heritage of the Lord. God is giving you a responsibility when he allows you to have children and he expects you to train them in the way that he wants them trained. Not in the way that we think is right, but in the way that he knows is right and the principles that he has set forth. Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother. Proverbs uh, uh, 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. We already know in Hezekiah's case, the father was far gone. He was a wicked man. Wicked. Hated God. Wanted nothing to do with God. So how did Hezekiah turn out to be the Hezekiah? Well, we see here, his mother's name was Abijah the daughter of Zechariah. Parents, mothers, it is the responsibility given to you by God to train children in the way of the Lord, to train children to obey God no matter the cost, no matter the situation, no matter what may come, 
God will always come first and you teach them to obey the Lord. You teach them to put God first no matter what. You see, that's what Abijah did. I've just done a quick uh, look through of some of the surrounding chapters. Almost every single time a king is mentioned about being doing right in the eyes of the Lord, almost every single time the mother is mentioned. There's actually one instance that I saw. I didn't do a deep study, just a quick look through of the surrounding chapters. There was one instance that I saw where the mother was mentioned and it wasn't in a good way. Her name was Athaliah. And the Bible specifically mentions her because she counseled her son to do wickedly. See, the power of the parent, especially the power of the mother. You see... The father is the one that goes out, goes out to work, protects the family, provides for the family. That's the job of the father. That's what God ordained the father to do. The mother is the one that's supposed to stay at home and to take care and to keep the house. That's not a lower place. That's a place of honor. That's a place of protection. That's what it's supposed to be. But that also means that the mother is the one that is in constant connection with the children that means that's why the proverb says for saying not the law of thy mother it talks about instruction and command from the father but when it talks about the mom it says no the law of thy mother which that also brings a great onus on the man because that means father you do have a job that is what you're supposed to do you do and provide and protect for your family but that also means you're still a father so when you come home you still have to be a Father, your time is much shorter with your children, but your impact is still very important. But the good thing, the blessing to see here is that even with a wicked father as Ahaz, a wicked man that cared nothing for God, that if anything, he would have all his family hate God as much as he did, we still see Abijah was able to succeed in training her son to be a man that lived for God. A man that desired to do what was right in the eyes of his Lord. You see, we are to honor God and show children the love of the Father through the parents. That's the job of the parents is to show this is how God loves you. That's that's why God arranged it the way he did. So children from a young age could see and could begin experiencing on an earthly sense, I was not a perfect sense, but begin to experience and grow up in the way that God says, this is the way I planned it. This is the way I want it to be. Train up a child in the way he should go. Teach the children. Teach your children what is right. Train the children in the way of the Lord. Mothers, you have a grave responsibility. Fathers, you as well. But mothers, you are the one at home. You are the one the children around the most. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Abijah understood her job and her responsibility, and she said, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it to the, by my best, even if my husband is good for nothing, rotten, wicked man, I will do anything I can to teach my son what is right and holy. Abijah, his mother. The first step of ingredients or the the first step in the formula, children must be trained in the way of the Lord. Children have to be trained in the way of the Lord. Psalms 
Secondly, Second Chronicles 28, 24, we see, And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So Ahaz, verse chapter number 29, Ahaz has become king. That we just looked at that began to reign when he was 25. Verse number two talks about, and he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord as David his father. And verse number 20, uh, verse number three, chapter number nine, verse number three, the Bible says, he, talking about Hezekiah, he in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Not only do we need to train children in the way of the Lord, but the first thing we need to do is we need to restore honor to the house of God. The house of the Lord deserves a place that's high and holy and lifted up, just as the temple was. That's what it was. This was the house of God, and his father had desecrated it. His father had shut the doors and said, no one's allowed in. No one in my country is going to do what God tells them to do. That's what he was trying to do. And Hezekiah said, my first year, in my first month, basically what he was saying is his very first thing that he did as king was he walked straight down to the temple, and he opened the doors. Again, he says, I'm going to open the doors of the house of the Lord. And he began repair on the house of God. You see, in order for us to get to God moving again, in order for us to get God's anger off of us as God's anger was on Israel, we need to train children in the way that he wants them to be trained. But we also need to restore the honor to the house of God. In the first year, it was his first objective, his first thing he wanted to do. The first year in the first month, he opened the house of the Lord. See, God desires that we show him adoration by showing love to his house, to his domain. This this is a very important thing to the Lord. The Bible talks about how David desired in his heart to build the temple. He said, the Bible says that David uh, thought to himself, he says, I live in houses of cedar and where does God have a place to call his house. And he said, I have an idea. And he called Nathan the prophet. And he said, this is the idea I have. I want to build a house for God. And Nathan said, do what's all in thy heart. But then the Bible says, Nathan went home and God told Nathan. He says, Nathan, you need to go back to tell David. He's not the one. And he went and told, uh, Nathan went and told David. And he said, David, God says, you're not the one to build my house. First Chronicles 22, but this is what he said. But the, uh, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. You see, God's house is high and holy. God's house is nothing to be played with. God's house is important. And it was so important that God says, David, even though you're a man after my own heart, even though you have a good desire, you cannot do it, David. Even though David was doing what God wanted him to do. He was fighting for the country of Israel. He was fighting for God's people. David did what was right. But even though David did what was right, God says, there's blood on your hand, David, and you're not the one to build my house. 
See, my house needs to be pure and holy. He says, your son can build it because I will give rest to your son. He will not have to fight in the wars that you had to fight. He will not have the blood on his hands. So when we have the great idea that we know better than God, we know better than the Bible, that we can just trash the house of the Lord, that we can act like it's no big deal, God says, in the very beginning, I said no to David because he had blood on his hands. He says, the house, my house, is important. My house has standards. You see, until we get to the place that we're willing to understand and willing to put God's house in a place of adoration, because this is God's house. This is the house of the Lord. And Hezekiah understood that. The first thing he did, he became king in the first year of his reign. In the first month, he went down there and opened the doors and he repaired them because he understood God's house is a place that deserves honor. So he restored the honor of the house of the Lord. You see, don't even think about revival. Don't even think about doing something great for God if you do not have a place of honor for the house of God. God's house, it is God's house. You don't have honor for his house, you don't have honor for him. So if you want to have revival, if you want to see God's power move in a way you can't imagine, well, you need to restore honor to the house of the Lord. Do you truly desire to see God's strong arm? Well, the formula demands that we train children in the way of the Lord. The formula demands that we restore honor to the house of God. Number three, Second Chronicles 20, uh, 29, verse number four. And he brought in the priests. So this is still Hezekiah. So he's just opened. So this is all in succession. He's opened the house of the Lord. He's repaired them. And he's going straight on from there. Verse number four. And he brought in the priest and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, hear me, ye Levites, Sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Not only do we need to train children the way of the Lord, not only do we need to restore honor to the house of God, we need to train soul winners, preachers, and teachers to teach others. What was the first thing he did? He went open the house of the Lord, and then he went and got the priests and the Levites, and he says, sanctify yourselves. Get ready to do your job again, gentlemen. We're about to get to business. That's what he was saying. He said, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord. We're about to get back to doing what we're supposed to do. 
We're about getting back to the job that God gave us to do in the first place. He tells them, he says, gentlemen, it's time that you sanctify yourselves. Get ready to do the work of the Lord because we're about to do it again. It's been a long time since it's happened. Their doors have been shut and we've got a lot of work to do. But he says, sanctify yourselves because the time has come. We need to train ourselves again in what is right. We need to train soul warners and preachers and teachers so we can further the cause of Christ and further the gospel in order for us to see revival, in order for us to see God's moving and have his anger shifted off of us. We need to get back to what we have been told to do. Hezekiah knew what was needed. He understood we need to get back to the foundations, back to what the job was. Levites, do your jobs. Priests, you need to get back to work. Oh, we have a mess. The Bible says there in verse number five, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. You see, there's a problem. There are many churches in our day and age in America that have shut their doors. And those that haven't shut their doors, many of them have brought in some of the, much of the filth and garbage from the world and brought it into the holy place of God's house and polluted it with all the wickedness and filth of this world, just as what happened then. The house of the Lord were closed. Filth had been brought into the holy place. God's house had been desecrated. So Hezekiah said, it's time we get back to the house of God. And then he said, it's time we get back to what we're supposed to be doing, Levites, priests. Let's get back to our job of soul winning, of preaching, of teaching, of restoring honor to the house of the Lord. He said, get the filth out of the holy place. Open the doors of churches and get the filth out. Get the world out. This is supposed to be the holy place. This is supposed to be God's house. We sit idly by and just float along the lazy river of life waiting for the trumpet to sound or death to come. We've become complacent just like many of the Levites and priests had become. They had to sanctify themselves. If they were ready, if they were on edge and waiting for someone to come and lead the way, they would have already been sanctified, but they weren't. They were just giving up. Oh, they knew it was right. They were the Levites and priests. They knew what was right. They knew what was expected of them. And many of them probably were honest and good men and desired for someone to come. But they had just decided to float on down the river. And when someone came, he says, hey, boys, let's go, let's go. Sanctify yourselves. Get back to where you're supposed to be. Knock the cobwebs off. We got work to do. We need to train what we need to do. Soul winners need to be trained. Preachers need to be trained. Teachers need to be trained so we can teach others also. So it can go on and on and on. The filth needs to get taken out of the church. God gave us his power. All we need to do is use it. God's power is at our fingertips. He allows us to use it, but he's just waiting for someone to do what needs to be done. Follow the steps, follow the recipe, follow the formula. And God says, my power is yours. Soul winning is of the utmost importance. The last words, Jesus Christ says, he rose up in the heaven was, go ye and teach all nations. He says, in Jerusalem and all Judea, and all Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Until the great commission has been fulfilled, we have a job, 
And that job is to spread the gospel and to tell a lost and dying world there is a God, there is a Savior who came and died for you, so you have hope. See, there was a problem. You see, too many Christians today, too many saved today are are resting on our laurels that we're going to heaven, but we get sidetracked with other issues and other problems. Issue one isn't going to save anything, even if it did get passed. At best, it's a stopgap from worse things happening. Getting someone else in office isn't going to be the answer to the problems of life. The problem was the house of the Lord was shut and filth had been brought into the holy place and the men that were supposed to take care of it, the Levites and the priests had become complacent and said, maybe someone will come later on. Does that describe you? Maybe someone will come. Like the revival fires. Jesus Christ said, And if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You know what the answer is? Christians going out, just has been said many different ways, a beggar finding food and telling another beggar where they can find some food. Look, right over there, Jesus Christ, he's your answer. The Bible said in another place in John 3, 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That, that was a picture of what was to come. You had all of Israel dying and in great pain because of the wickedness that they had done, and God says, raise up this serpent, And if they look unto it, they'll be saved. That's all they have to do. They just have to look unto it. That's the answer for the lost and dying world. All you have to do is look up to the Son of God, Messiah, and he'll save you. He is the answer to our problems, but yet so many times we just get sidetracked with issues. We get sidetracked with things that don't really matter, and we just begin to get complacent and just float on the lazy river of life because I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and, well, it's just all I can do now. God is waiting for someone that says, I'm willing to do the steps. I'm willing to fill the formula so I can see God's power, so I can see God move again. God has chosen us. God has given us the opportunity to lift up his holy name. God has given us the opportunity out of any way God could use to spread the gospel. He has chosen us to be the bearers of the message of the good news to all men. The Messiah has come and he has paid the way. There is no payment due. He's paid it all. And there is no payment due. Proclaim the love of Christ to all. Where are the soul winners? Where are the preachers and teachers of the love of Christ, of the gospel? What has happened? It's like the Levites and the priests, they've just become complacent. Where are those that proclaim the straight and the 
not care about the state of the sea of the world? Does it not move you when you look at your own house? Does it not grip your heart when you look at your church, when you look at your city? When you look at your nation, the world around you, and the craziness, everything is flipped. Everything is backwards. They said it in verse number nine. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, and our daughters, and our wives are in captivity for this. Because of our wickedness that we have committed, this is what's happening. They're getting slaughtered and they're in captivity for this, for our sin. They're in the chains of sin because we've just let it go. We've just let it slide on by. Look around, see the captivity. Notification after notification after notification of this happened over here and this happened over here and there was a shooting over here and there was this over there all the time. It's a regular occurrence. The captivity of sin, the captivity of the world, and it gets worse and worse and worse. It becomes the snowball that turns into an avalanche of wickedness of sin gone unchecked because the people of God didn't fight for the doors to be opened. They didn't fight to get the filth out. And eventually the good Christians just became complacent and let themselves get to a place where they had an escape. Are you at the place where your heart is still tender? Or are you going to force God's hand to snatch your heart and make it workable again? Those are the only two options. You either have a heart that's tender towards God, and when you've done something wrong, when it's been brought to your mind, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you're tender to what he has to say, or you become hard-hearted, and the further you go, further God is forced because God is a loving God he will not let you destroy yourself he may have to destroy you to get your attention again to say hey pay attention to me I'm trying to help you but that's where they had gotten to fathers slain sons and daughters and wives in captivity and they weren't sanctified the house of the Closed, filth was in the hiding place. And this is where they were at. Do you want revival? Do you truly want to see God's strong arm move again? The formula, the recipe demands train children in the way of the Lord, restore honor to the house of God, train soul winners, preachers, and teachers, and pass it on. 
Second Chronicles chapter number twenty-nine, verse uh, verse number ten. Now it is in time in mine heart. This is Hezekiah speaking. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that His fierce wrath may turn away from us. So we see His heart. He says, I want to make a promise, I want to make a covenant with God because I want him to move his anger from off of us. Verse number 11. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. So he's telling them once again, he says, hey, Levites, hey, priests, God chose you to do his work, to stand before him, to serve him, to minister unto him, to do what he asked you to do. Not only do we need to train the children, restore honor to the house of the Lord, and train soldiers, preachers, and teachers, but we need to make a covenant with the Lord to turn his wrath away and to serve him again. You see, they weren't sanctified, they weren't doing their job. But Hezekiah said, gentlemen, it's time we do our job again. It's time we pick up the mantle again and go back to work and serve God and stand before him so his wrath can be turned away. So God can turn his wrath away from us and we can see his loving smile come upon us again because he sees that they've got him. They're coming back to me. What is in your Do you truly desire to see God's wrath turned away from you, from your family, from your church, from your city, from your state, from your nation? Do you truly desire to see something change? Do you truly desire to see God's wrath turned away again? Or, ah, take it easy. Oh, you'd be nice, but, you know, God's moving will never come. God said, all in or nothing. What are you going to do? Do you really wish to calm God's anger? Do you really wish to appease the Almighty to get his smile of love upon us once again? Is that your true heart's wish? Well, it's time we make a promise, make a covenant to God that I am going to stand before you because you have chosen me. If you're saved and you're in church, guess what? God chose you. God has chosen me to stand before him and to serve him and to minister unto him. To do good unto the Father. It is no coincidence that you're in church today. It is no coincidence that you're in the Anchor Baptist Church. This is the place that God has placed you. So don't get complacent. Don't start giving excuses about who you are and why you are. God says, I put you here for a purpose, for a reason, will you trust me? See, God put us here so we could fulfill his mission, so we could stand before him. The great commission awaits. The lost need salvation. The saved need teaching and preaching. Serve serve God. Give him everything you can. He is deserving. God has chosen you stand before him. Don't just brush that off. Don't just say, oh yeah, I've heard that a time and time again. No. Think about that. Let that wash over you like a tsunami. God Almighty, the King
king of kings, the Lord of lords from his throne room that sits on the stars. Israel says, I have chosen you. I want you to serve me. I want you to stand before me. I want you to talk with me. I want to have a relationship with you. The Holy One, the God of all the universe looks down and says, I chose you. It's no accident. I want you here. I want you to get to know me. If that does not overwhelm you, something is dearly wrong. Something is sincerely wrong inside of you. You are so far gone. If just the mere thought that God himself looks down on you with love and compassion that has chosen you to stand before him and you're not moved at all, something is sincerely wrong. You are so far gone. And you may just force God's hand. Say, I don't want to. But if you're not going to listen, you need to learn. Oh, it may be hard. It may not be fun. But in the end, you'll see. I should have just given up. I shouldn't have struggled and plugged my ears to what he was trying to say. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He desires to. So do you want to see revival? Do you want to see God's power unleashed? Do you really want to see what God can do? Restore on to the house of the Lord. Train the soul winners, pastors, teachers. Make a covenant with God to serve him. Second Chronicles 29, verse number 20. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord and they brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven he goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bullocks and the priest received the blood and sprinkled on the altar. Likewise, when they killed the rams, they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also the lambs and they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. And they brought forth the he goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation and they laid their hands upon them. And the priest killed them and they made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and the psalteries 
and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets, and Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel, and all the congregation worshipped. And the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of the offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. All that was just the introduction. All that was just getting us to the place where now we can do what we need to do. Understand, this is the burnt offering. The burnt offering was something that would take from the morning to the evening. This was the thing that was never supposed to go out. The altar, the fire on the altar was never to go out. That was command of God all the way back when he was giving the law to Moses. The fire is to never go out. And you see, God's wrath is provoked when Ahaz closed the doors. The fire went out. And God says, you've crossed the line. Oh, you've done wicked things, Ahaz. You've done wickedly but you've gone too far. And Hezekiah understood, once again, first thing he went, open the doors, let's get the Levites and priests back in business, and as soon as he could, the Bible says they rose up early, and all the rulers, and they went down to the house of the Lord. And they brought all of their things, seven bullocks, seven lambs, seven he-goats, seven rams, Sin offering to atone for all of Israel and a burnt offering. A burnt offering went from the morning to the evening. It was the whole animal. All different offerings have different parts of the animal and different things that you do. But the burnt offering was the whole animal. You put the whole animal in. That takes a long time. And the Bible says, and when the burnt offering, in verse number 27, and when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began, and he uh, skipped down to verse number 28. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. It's a work of dedication. That's a long time. At the very minimum, we're talking something that started in the morning and went all the way to evening. But this is a rather large burnt offering. It could have very easily stretched on for days. They are begging God to remove his anger. They are trying to appease the Lord and tell God, we're back with you. We want fellowship with you again. This was a huge ordeal. A huge ordeal. And after that, that's when Hezekiah said, now you're consecrated. 
now we can begin. After we've just done at least all day long with the burnt offering and singing worship and praise to God, now we're ready. After all of that, now we're ready to go. Now we're ready to do what we actually need to do. You see, we need to restore the worship of the Lord. Amen. The worship of God isn't a five-minute quick deal thing. All right, all right, I'm done. No, it's, it's a process of dedication. It's an endearing process that takes time. It's not some quick one, two, three, I'm done, now I'm good to go. No, Hezekiah understood. No, this needs to be a process. This needs to be a dedication that God has everything. Even if it takes all day, even if it takes two days, even if it takes a week, we're going to sing praise to God so we can be consecrated. It's a restoring of the worship of the Lord. And in verse number 31, then he says, now ye have consecrated yourselves in the Lord. Now that we've done that, now we've gone through all this, worshiping and praising the God, now we're consecrated. Then he says this, now that we've done that, verse number 31, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord and the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings and as many as were a free heart burnt offerings. And the number of burnt offerings which are, uh, the congregation brought was three score and ten bullocks and hundred rams and two hundred lambs, all these for a burnt offering to the Lord. So after Hezekiah has just done a very large burnt offering for and sin offering for Israel, then he invites the congregation to do so and they bring a multitude more. You see, when people get right, it needs to be all the way. There's no halfways. You go all the way. But get this. In verse number 33, And the consecrated things were 600 oxen and 3,000 sheep. That's a massive offering. The next verse really explains the situation. But the priests were too few so that they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore, their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended and until other priests had sanctified themselves for the Levites were more upright and hard to sanctify themselves than the priests. You see, when true worship of God comes about, you'll see things you never thought were possible. You'll see days where... Everyone has to get involved. There's too much. There were too few priests to take care of the massive offerings to God that were coming in. The burnt offerings, that's the whole deal. No one got anything of the burnt offerings. The only thing that did not go in the burnt offering was the skin. That was it. But the burnt offering was whole unto God. It was all and only for the Lord. It was to be consumed so it could be a sweet-smelling savor to God. So God could smell it and say, my people are doing what I want them to do. They're showing me I'm important to them. They're making a major sacrifice of finances and work and time just to show me I'm important to them. Hundreds and thousands were brought as a sacrifice to God. This is only Jerusalem. This isn't the nation of Judah. 
This isn't the whole nation of Israel. This is only Jerusalem. And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. And Hezekiah rejoiced. And all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. It wasn't a, oh, I'll go home and pray about it. No, it was Hezekiah said, it's time to move. And they moved. They said, take it. I want to give it because it needs to be happened. It need, we need to get God on us again. That was the heart's desire. And Hezekiah looked and he rejoiced. You see, when true worship of the Lord comes in, flesh has to go. It has to go. It can't be one and the other. It's one or the other. You're either full of self or you're full of the spirit. And when he truly worshiped the Lord, he worshiped the Lord in spirit and in truth. So when you truly worship the Lord, you're really tapping into something that is out of this world. You are truly tapping into what God desires you to have. This was a massive undertaking. They had to get a, come a long way just to get to the place that they were ready to start giving their own offerings. Hezekiah said, whoa, whoa, whoa th- th- this isn't some uh, little deal that we're working with here. No, we've been wicked. We've gone far and away. We need to let God know, no, I am serious about this. I'm not just going to come and give some token offering just to say, oh, God, I hope you're not mad at me anymore. No, I'm going to take a long time to praise and worship him just so then I can say, God, I I hope you forgive me. I'm going to do everything I can just to get to the place where I can say, I'm sorry. Please take Hezekiah understood, no, we need to learn how to restore the worship of God. When I've done something wrong, it's not paramount that I get forgiven. It's paramount that I let God know, I know I'm wrong. And I just want you to understand, I want you to be happy. I don't don't need to feel better about myself. I need to know that God knows I messed up and I don't want to do it again. And that's what Hezekiah was trying to teach them to do. We don't just come when we've done something wrong and act like God's our lapdog. We can snap our fingers and say, God, I'm here again. No, no, no. We come into a humble place where I have sacrificed time and hours and even days to say, God, I I just want to make sure I'm ready to say, I've done wrong. I have failed you. I just want to talk of your greatness and your goodness. I want you to know you're something special to me. You see, we're doing good if we can maybe get 30 minutes a day for God. Once again, this was at least from morning till evening. Most likely much longer. Most likely days, maybe even over a week of time that this is just constantly going on. There was so much work that the few priests that were there couldn't do it. The Levites had to jump in. And those priests that weren't sanctified yet, they're saying, get sanctified because you need to get in the work. There's too much to do. God says, I can do that. I can show you a place. I can show you my power to where you can't even handle everything I can give you. But I'm waiting for you to follow the steps. I'm waiting for you to do what is right. Can you imagine being in a place 
being in a service, being in a situation where God is blessing so much and God is giving so much and God is showing his power so much that we can't even physically handle it. It's beyond our physical control. We can't do anything about it. We're just begging people to come to help, not to be at the church, just to help us deal with everything we need to deal with. That's what was happening. The Levites had to step up and do the job of the priests because they couldn't do it. There was too much. And God says, I can do that all the time if you want, if you're willing to follow the formula. See, I fear we are much closer to Ahaz than Hezekiah. Much more than we would ever think. If we were to look into a mirror, do you see Hezekiah or do you see Ahaz? Hatred and huge affection for anything that had to do with God. Or a young man, 25 years old, a young man, a novice, that said, I don't care. We are going to do what is right. We are going to go the distance. We are going to spend hours and days, if necessary, to get a hold of God's face so we can see him smile on us again and his wrath can be turned away. Do you want to see a change? How is your worship to where you want it this morning? Does your worship even scratch the surface? Five minutes, ten minutes? How long? How long do you actually truly, do you even worship God? Or is your prayer time, give me this, give me that, give me this, you know, thank you for that. No, 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 it's, it needs to be a time of worship. That, that should be the lion's share of your time with the Lord. It's just, God, you're so great. You're so wonderful. Your goodness and mercy is unimaginable. How is a Christian? Do you really want to see a change? Do you actually desire to see revival or is, oh, that's just too much work? Ah, you're asking a little much right there. Ahaz, yeah, 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 if you're Ahaz, we're definitely asking too much. God's asking too much, is he, Ahaz? All he has done is goodness and mercy. Do you want to see a change? Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse number 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. We're going to skip down to verse number 6. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not like ye like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation as ye see. Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and 
enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if ye turn again to the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you, if you return unto him. You see, Hezekiah understood the next thing that needs to happen is there needs to be a restoration of those that should be the church. He was calling to the rest of Judah and Israel now. Jerusalem, they they had just had the revival. They had just gotten back right with God. And now Hezekiah says, okay, we're where we should be. We need to get everyone else baptized. Those that should be in church, those that are saved, and have just gone astray. Those that have never heard the gospel, they need to be in church too. Now this is Hezekiah reaching out and restoring and bringing those to the church house again. And he's trying to teach them. He says, no, God is gracious and merciful. And he will not turn his face from you. But but there is, you, you do have to return to him. If you return to him. He wants you to serve him again. He wants to have that relationship with you again. As he sent the letter to all the surrounding tribes. Calling them. Letting them know the house of the Lord is open again. Come and worship. Come again. We look at number 10. So the post passed from city to city country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came into Jerusalem. There will always be those that will mock and make fun of the fires of revival and the movements of glory. There will always be. There'll always be those that make a mockery because all they're trying to do is break down. But if you're doing what God wants you to do, if you are truly having a relationship and a true connection with the Father, and you're becoming a Christian like you should be, a revived Christian, a Christian that's operating the way God wants him to, nevertheless, even though the persecutions may come, even though the attacks may come, nevertheless. Oh, there'll be those that come, and they will humble themselves down, and they come to Jerusalem. They come back to the church. We need to restore those that need to be in church. Bring those that need to be in church. We have to stick ourselves out and say, come on. Put ourselves in peril of attack and persecution, just as Hezekiah did. Hezekiah knew this country was wicked. 
it had gone off its rocker under his father, and he knew it was wicked. But he said, no, this is the right thing to do. It doesn't matter what they say. I am going to do what I am supposed to do. What God Almighty wants me to do, I will do it. And Hezekiah invited them to come in. Hezekiah got them to come. The Passover was restored. The church was getting back to what the church was supposed to do. The Passover was restored. The visitation to Jerusalem and the temple was restored. And we need to get back to what the church is supposed to do. What the job of the church is supposed to do. The world, the government is trying to take away and take away the job of the church because they want to take away the influence that God has set up the church to always have. It has always been the staple of Christians to be those that are like Christ. Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he spent most of his time with the sick and the weak and the lame and those that needed a savior. That's what Christians should be as well. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to try and take away the influence of the church. It's time the church got back to the job of the church of reaching the lost and letting them know about the love of the Christ. This was no easy task of restoring the Passover. This is something that hadn't been done in years. The Passover was a big deal. It wasn't something you could throw together just like that. But Hezekiah said, we're going to do the best we can. And he said, okay, let's do it. And it turns out they couldn't do it until a month later. And the Bible says Hezekiah was glad. He says, okay, let's let everyone know the Passover is restored. We're doing what we ought to do again. We're going to remember what the Lord did for us back in Egypt. That's what the Passover was for. It was a time of remembrance of God's goodness and mercy. And he says, as soon as we are ready, we're going to do this. So priests and Levites, let's get working. Let's get the Passover ready. Let's let everyone know in Israel the house of the Lord has been restored. We need to restore those to church again. We need to bring those that need to be in church. You desire to see your nation unleashed from the power of with the power of God is formed. There is a recipe to fulfill. Train the children. Restore honor to the house of the Lord. Train soul winners, preachers, and teachers. Make a covenant to serve the Lord. Restore the worship of the Lord and restore those who should be in church and bring those who need to be in church. Verse number 22 in chapter number 30. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. What's the next thing? Restore Hezekiah said, gentlemen, Levites, people are coming back. People are getting right with God, but they need to be taught. They need to be trained on what is right and what is wrong. The good knowledge of the Lord. That's what their job was, to teach the 
give knowledge of him. Hezekiah understood we need to restore Bible teaching. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching, and so much the more. Every church service, every church activity, every church event, every function that the church is offering, you should be there. Not forsaking the assembling. If the church people are assembling, you should be there. You are a part of the church. You should be there. Why? Because God's teaching is always happening. As his pastor always says, he never rambles. He's always trying to teach. Even if it's just a picnic where there is no devotion, where there is no sermon, there is teaching to be had by the saints that have been on the road a little longer than you. Just by being around them, you can learn from the Bible. You can learn the good knowledge of the Lord. Anytime there's a church event, Anytime the church is doing something, you should be there. You should be in the institute. It is something, it's teaching. It's what it's for. Why aren't you in the institute? Why would you not have such a a good option available to you and not use it? Once again, We don't have it because we had nothing else to do on a Tuesday evening. This was something that pastor had in mind for years. And we put a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, and a lot of work into it. Because we desired to teach. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, Walk worthy of the vocation of which ye are called. The entire chapter goes on. And it talks about, and he gave some apostles and some preachers. Uh, some prophets and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And it goes on and on and on. And it says, so we are not like children tossed to and fro. You come to church, you come to the institute, these are things we are trying to teach so you can learn about God. It's not just for if you're going to be on staff somewhere. This is for anyone and everyone. This is Bible teaching. This is what God expects from you. Once again, I would I would hate to be a Christian that goes to the Anchor Baptist Church or a church like this that has all these opportunities, all these avenues of learning and growth and work to serve God and to learn about God and you stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he says, I cannot wait to hear what you accomplished for me. Where is that in the church people? Okay? That's it. God did not save you to sit, soak, and sound. Because if that's all you do, that's what's going to happen. If all you do in church is you come and sit yourself in your chair, you will soak and you will sound. And you'll become a bitter, used-to-be Christian. The same commit thou to faithful. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things that thou hast heard of me of many witnesses. 
insane commitment out of faithfulness. Why? Who shall be able to teach others also? The Levites were to teach the good knowledge of God, of the Lord, so then the parents could teach the children. Anyone that was new could be taught, oh, this is who God is. But this is what happened. The teaching has not happened. And Hezekiah understood, okay, well, we're, we're on the right track again, but we're not quite there yet. We've only gone halfway. We haven't truly finished the task. We need to make sure those that are doing what they are told now are learning, that we are teaching them the good knowledge of the Lord. Restore the Bible teaching. Get involved in every way. Every way. And so much the more. So much the more. Anytime there's a conference, anytime there's a meeting, an event, whatever it may be, stop making excuses why you can't be. Make excuses how you can be. Find a way. Figure it out. Find a way to show God this is important to me. I desire to be in the place you have put me. The Bible is being taught, but the question is, You have a pastor that teaches the Bible. He has a vision. That's why we have these opportunities and these ministries of learning and growth and teaching is so the teaching of the Bible is there, but who and where are the faithful that will be able to teach others also? think you are a faithful one, well, there's an onus on you. Teach others also. You sound a faithful one. Who are you teaching? Who are you teaching? Who are you helping to come along behind you and say, follow me as I follow Christ, as the Apostle Paul said. He didn't say, follow me. He said, no, no, follow me as I follow Christ. I understand you're young. I understand you're weak. So I'll be an earthly example for you to follow until you're strong enough that you can follow Christ on your own. Where are the faithful men who are willing to teach others also? This is serious. Hezekiah understood. That's why he gathered the Levites together that taught the good knowledge. He said, I want you guys to know. was finished and all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces 
and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel turned every man to his possession and to their own cities. The next step, yeah, we need to restore the Bible teachings, but the next step after the Bible teachings are restored, destroy your idols. Get the garbage out of your life. We've got the garbage out of the church house. Now your idols. Destroy them. Oh, you know what it is. I don't need to say it. The Holy Spirit, contender, Anything that takes the throne of your heart away from God, he says, I want that out of my life. That needs to go. That's my idols. He says, and I am a jealous God. I do not share my idols. I deserve the throne of your heart, the throne of your life. You already know what it is. Get rid of the filth. The Bible says the utterly destroyed them all. You need to utterly destroy it, get it out so it can't come back. God wants to move among us again. But what is it? What is your idol? Technology has become so many people's idol. Not just the hardware, the phones, but the software. Oh, all the cool things you can do. All the cool devices, all the AI and all the new things. It's becoming a God. When you find yourself running to your toys and your questionnaires and your Googles or your AI before you even come to the throne room of the Father, it's replaced it. Before you even go to your Bible, before you even do any of that, you're, you're, you're going to your places. It has replaced your Father. And he says, I will not have that. Destroy that idol. Maybe it's music, TV, or your imagination. Oh, your imagination is going to get in place of God, just like that. It's the hidden things that no one knows about. It's all blind. It's not an outward thing that anyone would know. It's just in your heart. You allow your imaginations to take the place of God. And God says, no, that's my idols. God says, you want to truly see my power? You want to see me unleashed and change and flip the world upside down like I did for the apostles? You want to see that? Get the filth out. Cut down the groves. Destroy and smash those idols. Utterly destroy them all. So you can't come back to me. That's not worth my advances. Do you really want God to move? Do you really desire to see God move more than you can even imagine? Do things you truly can't fathom inside your brain, the things that God desires to do. He says, I will show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. You can't even wrap your mind around it. But you need to follow the steps. 
31 verse number 4. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priest and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. That's how the Levites and the priests made their money. Not only made their money, they lived and survived. Because of all the offerings and tithes of the people. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits, that's the tithe, corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep, and the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, and laid them by in the third month, get this, in the third month, they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. They were bringing so much tithes and offerings. It took four months to finish the piling. They had so much they couldn't even keep it inside. They had to just stack, start stacking over there. Start another pile. They started in the third and they didn't end till the seventh. Verse number 10. And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty. For the Lord hath blessed the people. And that which is left is this great store. So after Levites and the priests got what they were supposed to get. That what was left. The pile that took four months to finish. God says, you want to see my power. You want to see great and mighty things. You follow my financial plan. Tithes and offerings. Not just when you think you're able. Not when you think you're ready. given and I require back for my story. There was a story of a man who was going to church and he'd worked a job for many years and just out of ignorance he did not know because he was not taught about tithes and offerings. And one day when he was in church the Holy Spirit pricked his heart. He says, oh man, I need to do that. And so he not only began says, all the years that I haven't tithed, and he pretty much drained his bank account. He says, just because I didn't know back then doesn't mean I still don't owe. I still owe. It doesn't matter how many years ago it was. It doesn't matter how little I understood. It is still the Lord's. And he says, there is nothing between me and the Father. I will drain my bank account if that's what it takes. I think of the widow that Jesus Christ pointed out to his disciples. Two mites. If God, if the Holy Spirit would have tapped you on the shoulder and said, I want you to drain your bank account and all your financial assets to me. 
which is too much. And that was her financial welfare. She was a widow. She had no husband to take care of her. Her sons were probably dead if she had any. She was destitute. That was all she had. That was her great wealth. If God truly asked that of me, trust me to make sure that I'll make sure your house is, your mortgage is paid for. Your groceries are paid for. Do you trust me enough? What about tithes that, that we pay? Oh, they made sure all, all things, all things. Didn't matter how long ago it was. Didn't matter how long Ahaz stopped taking up the tithes and closed the storehouse. They said, no, all things, all things, all the first fruits, all the back tithes, it's, it's, it's getting taken care of. Four months of a pile. God says, I can show you things you don't even imagine. You won't even understand how you're able to give if you trust me. You'll look at your W-2 at the end of the year and see how much you made and how much you gave, and it will not make sense in the mathematical world. Full circle. Math. But God is waiting. Do you trust me? Am I enough? Peter, do you trust me to step out the boat? trust me? You give me that reason to live. It's all about me. Do you trust me? Some steps we have no problem with. But God is waiting for a person before asking God to say anything. No step is too hard. No step is too Show us your strong and mighty hand again. So you can blow our minds beyond our imaginations and what you just do on a regular basis. Hezekiah wanted nothing but joy in this circumstance. Doesn't matter if it's financial, doesn't matter if you're healing your own heart, doesn't matter if it's a church house, whatever it is. Restore honor to the house of the Lord. Train soul winners, preachers, and teachers. Make a covenant to serve the Lord. Restore the worship to the Lord. Restore those who should be in church and bring those who have not been in church. Restore the Bible teaching. Destroy your idols. Restore your consecrations. God has showed us a way. A repeatable standard. You want revival? You want that same me? I'm waiting. God is waiting. He wants to show. He wants to show off. He wants to show what he can do. And who's waiting? God is waiting for another Hezekiah. Chapter 
31, verses 20 and 21. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work, notice this, in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, from about as wicked as he can be. Ahaz, the Bible says, he walked in the house of Ahab. And he walked up the steps of Ahab, the most wicked king of all Israel and Judah. That's how Ahaz was like. So he was pretty close to as bad as you can get. All the way back to the very next generation.